I just realized that you have a Krusty Krab glass. I do. That I makes got me it. That so hot happy. Topic. Really? Yeah. <laughs> hot Topic had a whole SpongeBob section, and I saw that, and I was like, I cannot pass that up. So it is pouring rain outside. It just out of nowhere started pouring rain. Oh, ew. And we've apparently got another tropical storm on the way. So I survived the uh, the two twin hurricanes that came through here. Because um, you know, like the last episode that we put out, we looked like we were going to get hit by double hurricanes. Yeah. And they completely went around us. Like they came right near Mississippi and then just like took a sharp turn left and hooked up over the top of us. Oh man. Well, that's lucky. Yeah. I mean, so, not for anyone that was in the way of that. That was a no, really powerful storm, it but was like a really bad one. But like, yeah. as far as we're concerned, we, we escaped it. Like we got some rain, but nothing terrible. And then we've got another one coming and I'm, <laughs> I just hope that it stops. Like, I know this is hurricane season, but like last year wasn't this bad. Right. Right. Well, I, it's 2020. We all have to be a little extra with our disasters this year. Uh, I feel like 2020 is showing 2012 what an apocalypse is really supposed to look like. Right. Like I remember 2012. I was around for that and like cognizant, but Mm -hmm. I, there wasn't a whole lot bad that happened that year. Like everybody was freaked out. If it was a pretty calm year, as far as I can remember, you know, like everybody was freaking out that it was going to be, you know, like the end of the world because the Mayans predicted it, but nothing happened. Like nothing happened. I I think the only thing that happened in 2012 was Nyan Cat. (laughs) I think it was. Maybe that was 2011. I think that was 2011, but there was a presidential election in 2012, which was just garbage. Well, it wasn't as garbage as some of the more recent ones we've had. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> like, I would give anything for a 2012 election at this point. Oh, man, I would too. Absolutely. I, 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 November 3rd cannot get here soon enough. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't want November 3rd. I want November 4th. That's what oh, I want. Oh, yes. Yes. Like, I, November 3rd is going to be chaos. I want November 4th where it's kind of like, well it's over, you know? Yeah. Or maybe yeah. even November 5th where it's really over, you know, because guaranteed November 4th is going to be, well, we want a recount. <laughs> it won't matter which side we want a oh, recount God. because we I don't, know. we're going to contest nothing. those results. So, so maybe November 5th, because by then the recounts will be over and it'll, it'll really be over. Yeah. I would, I would <laughs> like that. I would like that very much. I'm so looking forward to Thanksgiving this year because uh, there, it just, it seems like the least stress possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, you know, like a small little socially distanced get together for Thanksgiving with the people that I care about. That's all I need right now because that sounds amazing. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready to, oh, actually I need to um, introduce you so that people don't know, you know, wonder what's going on. Um, (laughs) This is, this is Julia. She's been on the podcast before. Uh, She is one of the two co-hosts for what's in your hometown, which is a true crime podcast. Uh, Her and her co-host Sam came on 
last year and did a crossover episode with us. And we still need to do our crossover episode with you guys. Don't think I've forgotten. I haven't. I okay. <laughs> well, like we, we pretty well quit doing our podcast when, you know, everything sort of fell apart. Right. Circa June or so. So we're yeah. going to wait till Sam moves back east before we can start back up again. But that will be happening soon. Okay. So we've got plans. Well, it's going to be exciting. I know what I'm doing for the first episode back. Oh, awesome. That never happens to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. Well, I mean, even if it's just me that has to be on, like if Tess is still on her hiatus, I, I will do a crossover on your guys' show. I promise. I have oh, not yeah. forgotten we're all so. super happy to have you. We just don't have anything for you to come visit right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. When we get it all squared away and when this year finally calms down, we'll, we'll get something figured out. Awesome. But, um, but for now, let's shake the penny for our thoughts um, and I'll let you pick heads or tails. Last week, I just like... So the first two guest spots I had, I went first and I'm so sick of going first. So last time... I would have gone first, but I said, no, I'm done. I'm not going to let the guest go second <laughs> three times in a row. So I'm going to let you pick which, you know, what you want, heads or tails. But if it picks me first again, I'm just going to give it to you because I, I just refuse to let the guest go second every single time. Okay. So. All right. All right. All right. I will pick tails. Okay. It's tails. Awesome. Okay. There you go. All right. So. You've got a cryptid for me, right? I do. It's technically more of an urban legend than it is a cryptid. But, That's okay. Um, anyway, I've been in like a an anime binging mood for <laughs> for long enough that. that I've that I've gotten into like Japanese folklore because I keep seeing these same Ooh. little creatures that pop up, and I want to know more about them. Okay. Um, and Japan has some really creepy stuff. Yes, so, they do. Whenever we get back to our podcast, um, I'm going to be doing a bunch of that. Like this week with you, I wanted to do uh, the kappa. Oh, as, nice. As a, a thing. But that had way more butt stuff than I was anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad bringing that on to someone else's podcast. <laughs> Too much butt stuff. <laughs> there was there was more butt stuff than should be an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And like you guys, you put together such like a wholesome podcast. Like it's not it's not the right vibe. So I okay. switched gears like two hours ago. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, okay. I wanted to talk about Kitsune because I okay. think that they're super, super cool. Um right. and in America, you usually associate them with three things. Um, Naruto. 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 Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon yep. And Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what, that's our like awareness of Kitsune in America. Yep. But they're really common throughout Japanese folklore mm -hmm. and they go back as far as the fourth century AD. Oh, so wow. there's a real rich history with these that I think is just fascinating. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So to start, all kitsune are believed to be extremely intelligent, very long-lived magical beings. Mm -hmm. um, they are a type of yokai, which is a spiritual entity or what we in Western mythology would refer to as a demon. Okay. But that's a little misleading. Not all yokai are evil or servants of some higher power. Okay. So yokai. Um 
And Kutsune are usually divided into two classes. Mm-hmm. You have the Zenko, which are the good foxes that are benevolent okay. beings, and they're usually messengers, and they're associated with a very powerful kami in Japanese folklore. Okay. Um, the other kind, which is the kind that most people are familiar with, are called n- Nogatsune. Okay. Yes, Nogatsune, which are not necessarily evil foxes, but certainly leaning more towards that alignment. They tend to be right. very mischievous. They tend to be very, you know, they can be vengeful, um, but they're a little bit more complicated than someone who just brings you good news and leaves. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that is the most common thread throughout um, the folklore, for one, Kitsune are not unique to Japanese folklore. Mm-hmm. They're um, found throughout Korean and Chinese mythology as well. Right. Yeah. I, I've seen them in all sorts of Chinese depictions and paintings and stuff like that. So. Yeah. And I mean, they're just, they're so cool. They're so pretty. <laughs> I, I love sitting and learning about them. Um, <laughs> but the general thought is that because these beings, they're not necessarily distinct from regular foxes. Okay. Um, but these tend to be much more long lived. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitsune tend to only gain tails as they age. So right. they get their second tail after they're about 100 years old, and then it goes from there. Okay. Um, huh. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that they got a tail like every 100 years. Yeah. So that means, so that means tails from Sonic the Hedgehog is like 100 like, years old. Yeah. Yeah. He's, oh, boy. <laughs> I know. And yet you think of him as this cute little kid. And that means exactly. nine tails is like 800 years old. Yeah. No, they're, oh, it's my God. I didn't think about that. Super old. Um, oh, there was, there was a Kitsune in, um, Digimon too. Yeah, there There was. was, uh, Cubemon? Cubemon. I I think so. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause Cubi is the nine tailed fox. Oh, there um, we go. Yeah. From Cubemon. Yeah. Yeah. Cubemon. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. We found another one. Exactly. (laughs) And I mean, there's all sorts of them. They're in, um, Iriyasha, Kamisama Kiss. They're in, you know, just... All sorts of, there was one in No Game, No Life, I think. Like, I've been on a deep dive into. Right. <laughs> I wonder if Q-Bay from Madoka Magica counts as kind of a evil kitsune. Maybe. Maybe. I, I haven't mean, the name seen sounds one. like it, but. It does. Um, Sorry, I, I kind of went weeb on you, so. I, please, please do. Please. <laughs> oh, you don't want me to go full weeb. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no. I mean, nobody wants that, but that's what every single human being in my life has had to deal with recently. So I mean, that's just, that's just my life. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been doing cosplay and anime and comic conventions for 11 years now. So it's just it's part so of wonderful. Me. It defines who I am. Yeah. <laughs> Um, don't think I haven't seen those raunchy Link cosplays. They are my favorite. (laughs) Um, but anyway, back to, cause I got way off topic. Um, (laughs) we do that. We do that here (laughs) a lot. Yes. Um, 
Anyway, so foxes gain additional tails after 100 years. Mm-hmm. And um, typically they're depicted as having one, five, seven, or nine tails, with nine being the upper limit of what's been observed. Okay. Um, the ninth tail turns the rest of the fox white or gold, uh, and it mm. gains the ability to see and hear anything that happens anywhere in the world, as well as infinite wisdom. Ooh. Wow, that's fancy. Yeah. No, it's super fancy. It's like you just, you got a ninth tail and now you're an omnipotent being who is effectively very shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Love that. Um, so kitsune are shapeshifters and they can take a human form after they've gained their second tail. Um, really? Yeah. I don't know why I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel I like I should have known that. <laughs> Usually... Um, in order to transform like that, they will need to place reed, uh, reeds, leaves, or a skull over their head in order to have the complete visual transformation where their tails disappear. And um, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kitsune usually prefer to take the form of either a beautiful woman, a young girl, or an elderly man. Sometimes hmm. they will appear as a young boy, but that tends to be a little bit less common. Gotcha. And how they choose to appear is not reflective of the fox's actual age or gender. Okay. Um, and because they're tricksters, and this is very handy, they can duplicate the appearance of a specific person. So they could be like your identical twin. Yeah, basically. Okay. So they... they, they could pick they could make up their own person or they could just decide to look like somebody who already exists yes okay interesting they could make an oc or they could just be a (laughs) self-insert fan fiction gotcha exactly (laughs) exactly okay that i i get that my (laughs) listeners might not get that but i do (laughs) mine will it's okay (laughs) um Frequently, the tales involving Kitsune involve them possessing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a whole bunch of different magical powers. Right. From possession to generating fire and lightning, mm-hmm. manifesting in the dreams of others. They can fly, they can be invisible, or they can create really elaborate illusions. Interesting. Uh, the more powerful ones can bend time and space drive people insane or shapeshift to incredible odd shapes to include a second moon in the sky. Fun. Yeah. That's cool. I don't know why you would need that, but it's really cool to be able to, to do. do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they've, um, how they're aware of this power because I don't think there's any time documented in history where there were two moons in the sky, but that's cool. Right? Well, listen, if you're going to be looking for a fox, you're definitely not going to be looking for a second moon. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose. So maybe there were two moons and people just didn't notice because they were too busy looking in bushes for foxes. (laughs) I think that could probably be accurate. Um, Kitsune also have plenty in common with vampires and succubi. Um, Okay. I did not know that. I know. I didn't either. Um, They can feed on the life or spiritual powers of humans, um, usually through seduction. And Hmm. it can be revealed that the person you're with is a fox because of the way that they reflect in mirrors. Their reflection will be of a fox. 
Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's in. I did not know that. That's yeah. really interesting. They also have, um, if you get them really drunk, sometimes they will lose control of their powers a little bit and you will be able to see their tails. Um, if they're startled or injured, they also will lose a little bit of control. Um, there's one story of a man who uh, dunked his toe in a hot bath that was too hot and it burned him. Mm-hmm. So when he ran back through the back house, he was just covered in fur. And then he turned into a fox and ran off into the night. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That actually that actually reminds me of another Pokemon that is fox-like and can shapeshift. There's Zoroa and Zoroark. Yes. Which are yes. shape-shifting fox Pokemon. And, you know, sometimes the fox tail will show up when they're something else because they're not concentrating enough or something. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from. And it's, th- those oh. are two of my favorites, and I love them so much. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm learning so much right now. And I, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if our listeners are going to give, you know, any sort of care to Pokemon. I don't know. I, I really, I'm not sure what my listener base is at this point. You know, like... <laughs> Like they're all over the place and they, some of them are probably going to like Pokemon and some of them might not. I don't know, but you're learning a lot about Pokemon this week, guys. Sorry. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, listen, you never know when Pokemon trivia is going to come in handy. You really That's don't. very fair. That's very fair. But, <laughs> but I mean, we're also mainly learning Japanese folklore, but I mean, Japanese folklore affects very heavily all of their media that they put out. You know, yes. where, where it's like we don't seem to put a lot of our folklore into our media here in the States, unless it's UFOs. Right. And everything. Yeah, no, I, I don't really know why that's a difference, but I, yeah. I really enjoy being able to look at something on like a Japanese media thing and mm-hmm. be like, oh, there's something more to this story that I can right. look up later. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so some of the stories with Kitsune, um, make it so that these foxes are really, really tricksters. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes like, you know, the, the typical like Dungeons and Dragons alignment charts. Yes. <laughs> like, um, like neutral good, lawful good, lawful evil. And stuff yeah. Like that. Yeah. That, um, they, I feel like a lot of them are chaotic neutral. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> kind of what it's sounding like. <laughs> um, a lot of these stories uh, involve playing tricks on overly proud samurai, greedy merchants, boastful commoners. Um, they, the goals usually include seduction, theft of food, humiliation of the prideful, and personal revenge. Hmm. Um, occasionally, you will find stories of them abusing like poor tradesmen, farmers like very devout monks. Um, anyone that has personally offended a fox can expect to be tricked. Oh, Um, okay. And they can create fox fire, which is pretty Mm -hmm. similar to a will of the wisp. Mm -hmm. Um, they can lure travelers away, um, and they can confuse their targets with illusions or visions that will ultimately embarrass, confuse, or kill them. (laughs) 
Oh. <laughs> depending where you are on that scale. <laughs> that sounded like the side effects for medication on television. It's like side effects <laughs> may include, you know, confusion, disorientation, or death. Exactly. <laughs> um, oh, boy. <laughs> Now, that's not to say that these beings can't be honorable or friendly. Right. They do keep their promises and they do repay their favors. Um, if a person gains the favor of a kitsune, it can protect the house and bring wealth and fertility to the family. Okay. But once this happens, that family tends to be ostracized from the community because that's an unfair advantage. Also, foxes are tricksters and not to be trusted. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I get they understand that. Yeah. They don't have the same concept of morality that humans do. So sometimes the wealth and gifts and favors that they bring back to their homes were like stolen from other families. Oh, oh fun. Okay. <laughs> I, like, I found this pile of money. It was in someone else's basement, but I found it and I wanted you to have it. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. Hmm. There are a few different stories of ancient interactions with humans. Mm -hmm. um, circling back, foxes can force humans to enter a state called kitsune tsuki okay. or fox possession. Um, okay. This can cause strange behaviors. It can cause the development of physical features that appear fox-like, such as claws, sharp teeth, um, pointed streamlined faces, narrow set eyes. Mm -hmm. and lighter colored hair. Uh, a lot of mental illnesses throughout history have been blamed on these fox spirits. Um, why does that not surprise me? Like in the slightest. Why would, just, it's seriously. It's like, it okay, cool. Does not surprise me at all. Anytime no. there's a mental illness, it's either one of two things. It's either demonic possession or it's just because you're on your period. Exactly. <laughs> and those are not mutually exclusive. No, just they so aren't. Aware. <laughs> they, they are not. Sometimes you're on your period because you're possessed. Exactly. <laughs> so stupid. I'm sorry. It's good. <laughs> I saw a tweet, like, it was a while ago, but it was um, my wife, whomst has had seven children and no orgasms this year, is very sad. Clearly she is deranged. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen that meme before. And it's like, <laughs> God, that, that was the mindset back then, though. It's it like, really you know, was. women are there to produce children and take care of the household and the family and do everything. They get, you know, no pleasure out of sexual relations with their husband. And yet... Why are they depressed? Well, it must be because, you know, they're possessed. And it's like, mm -hmm. or they're just severely depressed because they're not well taken care of. <laughs> but okay, exactly. go off. <laughs> Maybe make an effort to make your wife smile sometimes. You would be amazed at what happens. Right? Um, I, don't I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I mean, it's like you even think I'm, I'm really kind of going off on rabbit trails at this point. Oh, but please. Like, you think about like all the mental disorders that are named after like feminine sort of things like lunatic is named after the lunar cycle, which was another name for a menstrual cycle. Yeah. Um, hysterical named after, you know, hysteria, which is, you know, like a hysterectomy is getting yeah. your, you know, lady parts removed. It's the same 
it's the it's same, the same you root. Know, root. Yeah. yeah. So it's like so many words like that for mental illnesses are based on women, you know, and oh, well, they're just being women. They're just emotional, crazy women. And that's just kind of who they are. They're mentally ill. And it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, no, let me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a thing. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> um, but yeah. Sorry, so, I went off on a tangent. Just no, you're good. Mental, mental illness is important. Everybody should get help. In fact, go, go find betterhelp.com. It's amazing. Absolutely. Like that has definitely gotten me through this year. Yeah, it did for me too. I signed up for betterhelp.com like at the beginning of quarantine because it was just so much stress. So everybody should get therapy. That's, yes. that's that. Seriously. I've, I've said you, my piece on that. Okay, cool. Get, get therapy. It's nice for you. Um, anyway, uh, some of the more interesting or like quirky things that foxes can do for people is that once a fox has possessed you, you are able to read and speak languages that you previously had no knowledge of. None okay. whatsoever. All right. Now that um, does kind of sound like biblical demonic possession but okay it does a little bit um but i think that goes with like the more powerful fox spirits that are able to hear and see things that are going on around the world you would be exposed mm -hmm. to different languages that way okay um occasionally these uh possessions were induced because foxes are associated with messengers mm -hmm. so they would be used effectively as mediums um, this oh, was a okay. really dangerous thing to do because your ceremony depended on the fox's willingness to leave the host's body by the time you're done. <laughs> right. Interesting. Um, but it could lead to predicting the future. So. Okay. Uh, huh. You got to weigh your pros and cons there. Right. Right. You know, see the future eternal possession. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> worth it maybe <laughs> um it's also not uncommon for kitsune to be portrayed as lovers um usually these stories involve a young human man and a fox bride um and these stories depict the kitsune as a romantic partner and as a loving devoted wife despite the fox's reputation for being a seductress okay um Often when the husband discovers his wife's nature, she's forced to leave him. But many stories tell of the fox wives bearing children. And hmm. uh, when these babies are human, they still possess special physical or supernatural abilities uh, that will get passed on to, the, to subsequent generations. Mm -hmm. Like there was an astrologer named Abe no Saname, And... Okay he was reported to have inherited these powers, which is why he was so good at his job. Okay. Um, and every so often, Kitsune will marry each other. So, it, according to folklore, when rain falls from a clear sky, it is because there is a Kitsune wedding. Mm -hmm. um, that's normally a good omen, but if you are an uninvited guest, you can expect to be pranked. Oh, well, yes, okay. <laughs> um, wedding crashers should be pranked anyway so exactly like it's just rude of you like really it's, it's just rude um anyway i couldn't find any modern sightings which is why i'm hesitating to call this a cryptid but it's so well documented throughout folklore that i think mm -hmm. it qualifies i also found it on cryptid wikipedia 
Okay, so, well, there you go. That's, that's as one far of my main sources, so that's confirmed. Fine. <laughs> yep. But these spirits are really culturally important even today, um, especially in the Shinto religion. Okay. Um, there's a goddess or a kami called Inari, which is the goddess of foxes, fertility, rice, tea, sake, agriculture, industry, general prosperity, and worldly success. Well, she's got a lot on her plate. Yeah, she's a major she's a major god for gotcha. that. Um, it's normal for people to go and visit Inari temples and leave things like tofu, rice, sake, adzuki beans, things that foxes tend to be very fond of. Okay. And fully a third of all Shinto temples that were counted last in like, I think this was a little outdated. It was like 1985, but fully a third of them um, were dedicated to Inari. Wow. That's a yeah. lot. Yeah. And they've got a ton of temples in Japan. So for a whole third of them to be de- dedicated to this one God, that's, that's a ton. Okay. Right. And like, that's just the temples that like were, physical temples that were accessible mm-hmm. to the public and had like a right. live-in priest if you're talking like roadside temples or in your house shrines that number is going to grow of course right um interesting all of these temples tend to share a few things in common one of which being two fox statues okay uh these statues are unique to the temples they are not like you no two are exactly alike but they tend to come in pairs, one representing male and one representing female, and they tend to hold a symbolic item in their mouths or beneath their paws. Okay. So you can have a jewel and a key. You can have rice and sake. You can have things that tend to pair together with this mythology to represent something to offer the goddess. Okay. Um, and yeah. That's sort of what I have for you. That's really fascinating. Like I said, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, just from, you know, my life of knowing a ton about anime, um, I, I've definitely seen a lot of these portrayed, but I didn't know like the history behind them. So that's, that's really cool to hear. And, and just, you know, the fact that, you know, so many people still believe in it. I mean, the same way it may not have like a ton of sightings or anything like that, but I mean, you know, people still believe in it the same way we still believe in a lot of our cryptids. You know, I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. Mothman hasn't been sighted in probably like what, 30 years and we still believe in it. Exactly. That's very cool. It is. is. And I'm coming from basically the same background as you are. We're like, I see it all over the place. I just sort Mm -hmm. of assumed that it was like a thing, but I didn't have a lot of this background on it. So it was really interesting to just sit around and look at for a while. Right. Right. Well, awesome. Okay, well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I have a conspiracy theory that at first I didn't think I was going to be able to flesh it out, and then I ended up having nine pages of notes, so... I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. It's a good one, and it actually a little bit kind of ties in, not really, but just like in a couple of places ties in with your topic. So, Ooh, okay, so we'll be, we'll be right back. Awesome. So we're back. Um, and like I said, I've got, a, it's going to be lengthy again, because I get to go and talk about history, which is like my favorite thing. So um, I had kind of a case of a Mandela effect when I was researching this topic. Ooh. And I'm not entirely sure why, but my brother and I both remembered it the same wrong way. 
And when I reached out to Tessa, she remembered it the right way. So just to confirm, I'm going to ask you, how did Houdini die? Like, what do you remember learning about his death? Oh, man, I don't remember a whole lot about his death. Um, I think that he died doing a trick, didn't he? No, he didn't. Okay. So you remember it wrong, just like me and my brother. Okay, okay. He did not die doing his trick. Um, <clears throat> but like, that's what we thought too. He was either by like an accidental drowning or an accidental hanging or something. Um, but his official cause of death is from appendicitis. Really? Yes. That um, seems lackluster. Right? <laughs> Um, however, in today's conspiracy theory, uh, we're going to talk about how it's possible that Houdini was actually assassinated. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited so, about this. So the basis behind this conspiracy theory is that Houdini's death was very sudden and kind of mysterious. Like, yes, his official cause of death was appendicitis, but it may have also been complicated by a series of quote-unquote hammer-like punches he sustained his, to his abdomen by a McGill University medical student named Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead. Jocelyn was a man's name apparently back in the day because I thought this was a woman, but it was not. Um, Houdini. It's like, fine, but why are you going to punch somebody in the stomach if you're so, a med student? I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, Houdini was known for being very physically fit and often boasted being able to take gut punches without any serious injuries. Um, so basically he would like, that was one of his tricks was he would like brace himself and people would punch him in the stomach and he'd be fine. Um, however, at the time of these particular punches, they didn't allow Houdini to properly brace himself. And they were kind of a surprise and it may have exacerbated the, appendicitis that he already had but didn't know about um so how could this have been an assassination attempt and who would have wanted to assassinate houdini well to answer those questions like i said we're going to do my favorite thing and we're going to delve into the history books and talk about everything leading up to his death yes okay. so here's a quick history of houdini's life because uh, i don't want to be talking for two or three episodes because like uh, i think and that's why we drink talked about houdini at one point, and they talked about him for like two episodes. Wow. Like his life is fascinating. So I'm going to try to wrap it all up like as quick as possible. Okay. Um, so Houdini was born Eric Weiss in Budapest before his family immigrated to the United States when he was four years old. So Budapest is what's now Hungary. Right. Um, at the age of nine, Houdini ran away to join the circus as a trapeze artist and a contortionist, calling himself Eric the Prince of the Air. I love it. He literally joined the circus. He ran away and joined the circus when he was nine years old. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here. This is this is where my brain went. Eric, because he's in the air. Yeah. Eric, I'm so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, magical puns. I love it. Um, so at the age of 16, after reading the autobiography of famed French mag magician Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, he decided to go by the stage name of Harry Houdini, believing that adding an I to the end of a word meant like or esque in French. So basically, Houdin was the guy's name, so he, he like thought that adding an I to Houdin, so Houdini, made it... Um, like he was Houdin-esque or like Houdin, but that's not actually what 
that's not a real thing in French, but he, that's what he thought it was. Um, and then Harry, he claimed, was also an homage to famous American magician Harry Keller. So okay. that's where he got the stage name Harry Houdini. Um, he debuted as a magician in 1891, originally performing traditional card tricks and sleight of hand, dubbing himself as the King of Cards. However, he was never really spectacular about it, and many magicians the world over have kind of said that sleight of hand was not his forte. Um <laughs> He moved on to Escape Acts, which is where he really found his niche and had his big break in 1899. And then between 1900 and 1920, Houdini toured the world and became not only one of the most famous magicians, but also the highest paid American vaudeville performer for many years. That's amazing. Right? And he was all like self-taught. Wow. So... Some of Houdini's most notable escapes were the Mirror Challenge, which was a handcuff escape act that he performed as a challenge issued by London newspaper The Daily Mirror. So it wasn't actually a, anything to do with a mirror. It was a newspaper called The Mirror. Um, in this, he had to escape a special pair of handcuffs that it took a blacksmith five years to make. And it took him over an hour and a half to escape. And he would later go on to say it was the most difficult escape of his career. Wow. Um, he also performed the Milk Can Escaped, or Milk Can Escape, which uh, he debuted in 1908, where he would be handcuffed inside a large milk can filled with water. So he'd have to hold his breath the entire time and would even encourage the audience to hold their breath along with him to see if, you know, they could hold their breath as long as he could. So, you know, those like those big metal like milk cans that you see in like old movies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he would get inside one of those, fill it with water, and be handcuffed and have to escape. That is concerning. I know. A lot of his <laughs> tricks were really concerning. <laughs> um, another famous trick that he advertised, or another trick he was famous for was advertised as the Chinese water torture cell, which by today's standards, it's really kind of racist and problematic to call it that. So he always referred to it as the upside down. So we're just going to refer to it as the upside down as well. Okay. Um, in the upside down trick, Houdini was suspended upside down in a tank of water by locking his feet into stocks. And then he had to escape. Once again, he just really liked to be suspended in water. Okay. Um, Houdini's most popular publicity stunt was the suspended straitjacket escape where he would be strapped into a regulation straitjacket and then suspended by his ankles from either a crane or a tall building. He would then escape in full view of the audience in about two minutes and 37 seconds. That scares me so that bad. terrifies me. The thought me. of that being like headfirst over a cliff yeah. of some sort. Ugh. Just like Ugh. hanging in like, you know, in the middle of like town square. I mean, crane. I'm sure this was entertaining. Like it had oh, to be. I'm, I have no doubt. But, but yeah, that's absolutely terrifying. I'm like secondhand terrified for him. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. So the overboard box escape was another one of his popular publicity stunts. In this one, he would be restrained in handcuffs and leg irons, nailed into a crate, and then the crate was tied up in ropes, weighed down with 200 pounds or 90 kilograms of lead, and lowered into a body of water. <laughs> his average escape time was 57 seconds. 
good. I mean, that's impressive, but oh my God. (laughs) But I I just imagine like you've got to practice this at some point. Yeah. And like. And it's like the fact that he didn't die during practice is impressive. I'm, I'm terrified. Like I just am. That's good. Good for him. Thrilled. So his most dangerous stunt, um, which this is the final stunt I'm going to talk about. He only performed it a handful of times and with only three varied variations. And it's honestly the most terrifying to me was his buried alive stunt. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> so the first time was the most dangerous um, and it almost cost him his life. Uh, in this escape, he was buried without a coffin under six feet of earth. In his, it, yeah, six feet down. Mm-mm. That's, that's deep. Mm-mm. Um, while he was trying to dig his way out, he panicked and tired himself out and passed out right as his hand broke the surface, relying on his assistants to pull him out the rest of the way. Well, that was lucky. Yeah. That, like he made oh. it right to the surface and got his hand out and passed out. Oh, oh, I hate it. Oh, I hate every. I hate that, I hate that I know. thought. Ugh. I know. Uh, the second time he performed it as a way to debunk a famous Egyptian mystical performer known as Raman Bey. Bey claimed that he used mystical superpowers that allowed him to stay locked in a sealed coffin for an hour. Houdini, who was notorious for disproving mystics and spiritualists, which is something we will get into, and he was one for theatrics, not only sealed himself into a coffin, but also submerged said coffin in the New York Hotel Shelton swimming pool and survived for an hour and a half. So basically he was saying, it's not mystical powers. This guy's just really good at staying in an enclosed space for an hour, and I can do it for an hour and a half under a pool of water. Oh, okay, so, I guess. Yeah. Good for him. Yep. Uh, The final variation, sadly, never was actually performed, uh, but was planned to be featured in his stage show. In this variation, he was to be restrained in a regulation straitjacket, sealed in a bronze coffin, and then buried in a tank of sand. I hate every single thing about that (laughs) thought. That I just said. Honestly, the thought of just being in a straitjacket makes me uncomfortable and nervous. Right. Like, but I'm okay th- with that. That's fine. No, it's I the couldn't. sand. It's the thought of, like, I can just imagine inhaling it and, like, mm. drowning in sand. I, yep. oh, God, please no. <laughs> I hate sand. It's coarse and irritating and gets everywhere. It is. Everything about <laughs> it is just, it, not my favorite, not my favorite thing in the world. And then to imagine, like, that's how I die. Yeah. You know, no, like that's a firm pass. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've talked about a brief history of who he was and what he was most well known for, we can get into another interesting part of his life that most people either don't know or don't talk about. Um, so like I said, when we were burying or when we were talking about the buried alive stunt, the second variation he did was to debunk a mystic performer. So when Harry Houdini wasn't performing feats of magic and daring escapes, his favorite pastime was debunking mystics, mediums, and spiritualists. And this is where I said it kind of ties in with yours because it's, you know, about mediums. Right. So uh, it was common knowledge that Houdini believed mediums and spiritualists were vultures who prey on the bereaved. That's a quote from him. So basically... um, he believed that mediums just kind of used people's 
grief as a way to prey on them to make money. Okay. So um, this belief actually ended up costing him his close friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, no. Um, who was an avid believer in spiritualism and whose wife was an alleged medium. So they met at like a tour and they'd become like really quick and close friends. Um, but on J June 17th, 1922, Mrs. Doyle offered to perform a seance for Houdini in order to contact his dead mother, whom he'd lost almost 10 years prior and was extremely affectionate towards. Um, Mrs. Doyle claimed to have contacted Houdini's mother and via automatic writing, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with what automatic writing is, but it's basically where the spirit that you're channeling takes control of your hand or arm and writes and uses it to write things. You know, they're not actually verbally speaking. They're using your hand yeah. to write things. So, um, that seems insensitive. So, Right. <laughs> well, usually, I mean, usually you like the mediums give them permission to do that. You know, it's not like without consent. But anyway, um, so she claimed to have contacted Houdini's mother and via automatic writing produced a 15 page correspondence with Houdini in perfect English and under the sign of the cross. This immediately raised Houdini's suspicions because his family immigrated from Budapest and his mother was unable to write in English. And his family was also Jewish, with his father being a rabbi, so she wouldn't have used the sign of the cross. Yeah, that seems, um, that does seem predatory and kind of awful. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, he called her out on it, and that ended his friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was like, how dare you call out my medium wife, you know, as being a fraud. Um, <laughs> how dare your medium event, wife be a fraud without doing right, some How dare your medium wife be a fraud? <laughs> Um, so this event sent Houdini down the path of debunking mediums by disguising himself and attending seances with undercover police officers. Um, and he, he'd just kind of go from like on his tours around the country, he would go from town to town and find the mediums and debunk them. And then as part of his stage performances, he would have an entire section of his show just being a slideshow projected on a screen, denouncing local mediums to the town that he was performing in. And, and then performing their tricks on stage so that people could see how they were fake. I feel like, like I would have gotten along with him in real life. Like, he had is, zero chill. No. There is no chill. That is a petty soul. And I, I respect it. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. So this, is, this was like his favorite pastime. And it's like people started to recognize him in his disguises. So he actually had his own like secret service of people that he hired and trained to spot and, you know, like what? pick apart mediums. So because, you know, he couldn't go undercover anymore. He would send out his little like lackeys to go debunk them for him. He had like secret shoppers for these he people. He literally had secret shoppers for these people. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This keeps getting better. I know. I know. Like this guy is the most insane person I've ever heard of. But yeah, he had his own little secret service of people he would go send undercover to, you know, debunk mediums and spiritualists. And Clearly, because of all of this, he made a lot of enemies. Uh, and uh, like a lot of these mediums and spiritualists went as far as like sending him death threats and running him out of the towns that he was visiting. Wow. 
Yeah. So it was because spiritualism was a very prominent religion back in the 20s. Oh, yeah. No, you it know. was huge and, it and was very huge. important and everywhere. I think it was like so, Abe Lincoln's wife that was such a huge yeah. proponent of it that like. Yeah, she absolutely was. They performed a lot of seances in the White House under Lincoln's presidency because his wife was very into it. Yeah. Um, so by 1924, Houdini became a member of the Scientific American Committee. Uh, Scientific American was a science magazine and, you know, news article that was out at the time. Um, and the committee was offering a $2,500 prize or about $38,000 in today's money. Wow. For any, yeah, for any medium who could prove psychic powers or phenomena were real. Uh, no one had been able to collect the reward or convince the committee members until June of 1924 when a medium named Mina Crandon, and she went by Marjorie, um, was submitted to the committee by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself as the real deal. Now, obviously, if Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is submitting her and saying, this this woman's the real deal, but yet he also believes that his <laughs> wife is the real deal. You're not I don't know how much you wife? can trust him. Really? Um, so this became Houdini's most famous debunking as well as like the real like meat and potatoes behind this conspiracy theory. Um, so Crandon was a famous medium who was particularly known for channeling her dead brother, Walter Stinson, and also for producing an ectoplasm hand from her lady parts. Oh, which was later found out to be animal liver and trachea sewn together and stuffed with cotton. And basically she would hide it in her nether region and pull it out during a seance. Oh my God. I I wish that that was not real, but that is very real and very well documented. And there are pictures of this ectoplasmic hand that you can find Mm. online. It's so gross. That's disgusting. <laughs> Why? W- it's so uh, gross. Oh my god! I just, I there have to be like aside from the like ew factor because mm-hmm. of course, right? What, what sort of woman is not careful about what goes up there? That seems like know. an irresponsible decision. Hi, Kitty. I've got it. Sorry, my cat has decided <laughs> to come good. and join this recording session. <laughs> But yeah, and it's like her husband was a doctor too, like a famed doctor. So it's like, and he helped her out with a lot of this. That's worse. I know. It's <laughs> terrible. And Everything it was like, about that is she was also known for performing a lot of her seances in the nude. Um, and you know, and like her husband, like her and her husband were also known for like soliciting men with like pictures of her, like in the in in like spiritualist lingerie i'm not even kidding like this woman was like she was insane 1920s but only like, fans i know yes basically it was like a 1920s only fan okay no that's going in the title okay I, the more this i know is wonderful. So like you do you whenever for it, whenever but. she did like the ectoplasm hand though she would do it she was wearing like a kimono you know, but it's like most of her seances were performed in the nude. Um, but yeah, she would occasionally wear a kimono and use that to hide the fact that she was hiding. I'm so like, concerned. Animal products shoved up her, <laughs> her lady bits. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so her performance, it, 
it was very apparently very believable because it was so well done and put together <laughs> that most of the scientific committee believed it. Um, and she actually, like, I mean, she was the center, like, of a lot of the spiritualist movement. She was the most famous medium, um, and a lot of people looked at her as, like, the head of the religion. Okay. So, like, she was that believed. Like, I mean, as gross as that all sounds, it's like it, she apparently did it in a way that people believed it, you know. Uh, a plus for a dedication to apparently. your role. Like, right? Good job. Um, So... The committee was kind of divided over whether or not to give her the prize money, uh, which is when Houdini was called in to be the final say on the matter. So on July 23rd and 24th of 1924, Harry and other committee members attended two separate seances in order to observe her act up close. After the first of the two seances, Houdini was able to pick apart and reproduce every single one of the tricks performed and was even quoted as saying, I've got her all fraud, every bit of it. One more sitting, and I will be ready to expose everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah. After attending the second seance, Houdini officially announced to the committee that she was indeed a fraud. The committee remained divided for a while, even after his debunking, but ultimately decided not to award Crandon the prize money. So he was that good at debunking. Like, just, he was incredible. Yeah. So spiritualists everywhere were enraged at Houdini for not only calling someone that was so highly regarded in their religion as a fake, but also for reproducing her tricks during his stage performances. Um, basically, a lot of them believed that Houdini himself had mystical powers that were super like well-developed, and he was using his powers to suppress the mediums that he was debunking. Oh, that's a grade A conspiracy theory. I right. Like so they, I mean, there's like a conspiracy theory inside this conspiracy theory. Okay. But, um, so the death threats in speed are increased and Walter, who was once again, the spirit of Crandon's dead brother, supposedly even said during a seance, I put a curse on Houdini that will follow him for every day for the rest of his short life. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Houdini continued debunking mediums and spiritualists for the next two years, even going so far as to offer his own $10,000 reward, which is $148,500 in today's money, to anyone who could prove him wrong. So uh, in 1926, he even went so far as testifying before Congress in support of a bill that would outlaw the practice of pretending to tell fortunes for reward or compensation. Um. Later that year, Crandon's brother's spirit once again spoke against Houdini, saying, Houdini will be gone by Halloween of this year. Oh, wow. So, which, he died. He died on Halloween of that year. What? Oh, yeah. that's crazy. And we're going to get into that because we're going to get into the death right now. Okay. So the events leading up to Houdini's death began on October 11th, 1926. While performing the upside down, he fractured his ankle when a piece of faulty equipment hit his leg. Against doctor's recommendations, he continued his tour up to Montreal, Canada. Canada, not Canada. Montreal, Canada, where he gave a lecture to McGill University. A few days later, on October 22nd, he invited some McGill students to visit him in his dressing room at the Princess Theater. The magician's sore ankle was still bothering him, so he sat down on a couch while the group chatted. At some point, uh, the student that we talked about before, Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead, 
um, asked Houdini if it was true that he could resist hard punches to his abdomen, a claim, you know, that once again, the magician made publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, When Houdini confirmed that the rumors were true, Whitehead immediately delivered four or five terribly forcible, deliberate, well-directed blows to his stomach. Houdini, who was still reclined on the couch and had no time to prepare for the punches or even properly brace himself with his fractured ankle, um, was in considerable pain afterwards and had to, like, stop him. Yeah. Um, Houdini brushed off the incident and performed his show that night but did complain about stomach cramps. Uh, When he did finally concede to see the doctor two days later in Detroit on October 24th, he had a temperature of 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius and was officially diagnosed with appendicitis. Wow. Yeah. Um, The doctor wanted to call an ambulance, but Houdini said, the show must go on. I'll do this show if it's my last. And it was. Um, He struggled through the show, which was not his best performance, obviously, and collapsed as soon as the curtain was pulled. Uh, He was rushed to the nearest hospital that night and underwent an emergency appendectomy uh, due to his appendix having ruptured and causing severe peritonitis. Um, Ooh, that's bad. Yeah. He underwent a second surgery on October 28th that used a new anti-streptococcal serum, but it was too late as the uh, peritonitis had already advanced to sepsis. Oh man. Yeah. So it was, it was too late by that point. Um, Houdini died on October 31st at the age of 52 with his last words being, I'm tired of fighting. Oh, oh, that's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. What? Yeah. That's not fine. Officially Houdini's cause of death was peritonitis caused by blows to the stomach that he received in his dressing room and his insurance actually paid his wife double indemnity for accidental death. Wow. Um, yeah. So he, cool. you know, yeah. Uh, however, in 2013, it was discovered that appendicitis being caused by blunt force trauma is very rare and improbable and that Houdini probably already had appendicitis prior to the punches to the gut and just didn't realize it. And these just kind of exacerbated the situation. Ooh, okay. Um, one theory though states that a group of spiritualists had him poisoned as there was never an official autopsy performed on the body. So we kind of are just taking the doctor's word that it was appendicitis. Um, also, like I mentioned, uh, Cranon predicted that Houdini would be gone by Halloween, which he was. Right. So was he assassinated or did the gut punches, you know, make things worse or was he poisoned? Well, in 2007, his grandnephew, George Hardeen, appealed to the courts to exhume the body of his great uncle so an autopsy could be performed to decide if there was poison in his system after his, or at the time of his death. However, they never filed the paperwork and nothing came of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, know. I guess. Um, and then a last little fun fact before I wrap this up is before Houdini's death... Uh, he and his wife came up with a secret code so that uh, if communication with the dead was possible, he could prove that it was him by speaking the secret code to her that only she knew. So for 10 years after his death on Halloween, um, Houdini's wife, Bess, hosted an annual seance but never once uh, made contact with her husband and she took it as a sign that the spirit world either doesn't exist or that it just doesn't talk, you know. Um <laughs> Now, however, 
the his medium and spiritualist enemies took it as a sign that he was continuing to be petty and spite them from beyond the grave. But I mean, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but um but yeah she she held set it, that up anyway shows you yeah, being petty right but yeah so she held an annual seance for 10 years and continued and like the the seance like came with a ten thousand dollar reward which like i said was about one hundred forty eight thousand dollars at the, in today's money right and nobody ever claimed the reward now she officially called the seance off after 10 years but there are still seances every year on halloween to contact houdini that still wow. happened to this day. Okay. So, but yeah, so that is, that is the conspiracy that Houdini might have been assassinated by mediums and spiritualists that he ticked off over the years. I love it. Isn't I, it fascinating? Wild ride from start to finish. I had no I idea that they, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was super fascinated learning some of this and researching some of it. So like there was just so much about Houdini that I didn't know. Yeah. So, but, I I love it. I love sitting here and getting to learn about this because I had no idea about any of it. Yeah. Like I had either. a dog named Houdini growing up. And that's oh, really? Us. Yeah. Yeah. We changed his name to Douglas after oh. the Supreme Court justice. But when we got him, his name was Houdini. <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah. But um. anyway, so uh, why don't you tell us where we can find you and your podcast on social media so that when it gets started back up again, everybody can find you. Sure. So Sam and I actually have two podcasts now. We're getting ready to launch okay. the second one. So awesome. our podcast that you can find that's out and that, you know, you guys can come check in, drop in on us. It's what's in your hometown. Um, it's in urban legends and true crime podcast. Uh, you can find us at what's in your hometown on Instagram and Gmail and at W-I-Y-H-T on Twitter. Um, our second podcast that we're getting ready to launch is called Disclaimer Results May Vary. Okay. Um, it is a relationship advice podcast from two people who could not possibly be less qualified to give relationship <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I will listen to that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want, you can write into us. Um, we're at Disclaimer Pod on pretty much everything, except I think Twitter is at Disclaimer Podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's us. You guys can can come and hang out and interact with us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast. Of course. No, it's it's always fun to see you and, and talk with you. And yeah. I think Sam's actually gonna be on um in a couple of weeks. So Oh, you know, that's exciting. Her as well. So you know, I just wanted to give her time to like get home and get settled. But yeah, I think she's going to be on like either next month or November or something like that. But yeah, you know, it's going to be exciting. Oh, that's so. going to be awesome. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, with that, uh, thank you all for listening. You know, we'll be back again on October 1st. I can't believe that it's almost October already. Oh, man, that's um, crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> but yeah. So thank you guys for listening and don't forget Big, Big brother, brother is watching. watching. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Conspiracies and Cryptids with Sammy and Tessa. Don't forget to check out our website, www.conspiraciesencryptids.com, for more episodes and other information. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cryptipod. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-P-O-D. There you can find different ways to support us and get some awesome goodies along the way. While you're at it, you can also find us on all of your favorite social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
Twitter. That's any one of those at Cryptopod. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please think about leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave us five stars and a nice little blurb about why you like us. It helps us to gain some traction and find some new listeners. And while you're at it, don't forget to tell your friends, because our friends are your friends. (laughs) And don't forget, Big Big Brother Brother is watching. watching.